0: Hey, it is seven minutes after 11 o'clock. If you're a a real Trump supporter, you're going to want to hear Dave Rowland. Because it's possible, he says, that one of the defendants in the Georgia RICO case may have found a golden ticket that could demolish the case against Trump and everybody else. We'll talk about that with him at about 20 after. Uh, Then the Supreme Court, considering whether and under what circumstances... Uh, governmental conditions uh, on the use of one's property uh, can be treated. This, uh, I think, is a case down in Texas where they built a highway, and the highway caused flooding uh, on these ranches, and the ranchers wanted money, and they, and the government said, well, no, this isn't a taking. You got the property. you just need scuba gear to, to get around it. He's also going to talk about the Chevron case, and and I've been following this very closely because it is going to be monumental. If it goes the way I hope it does. Uh, And finally, uh, camping. Actually, it's not really camping. It's just sleeping in parks and things like that. Anyway, all that coming up and more with Dave Roland. In the meantime, uh, Como Buzz with One Z, Mike Murphy is with us, With a fascinating, so I've got a bazillion questions about this. Apparently, the the, uh, city of Columbia's pension plan for police and firefighters is unfunded by, I think, an astronomical amount of money. I don't know how Mike found out, but I want the details. Mike Murphy, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I am am very good. So people in Columbia won't be, uh, they've
1: heard about, underfunded pensions before as far back as 2010 the mayor then formed a task force to solve this problem in 2012 they cut back pension benefits to police and firefighters so if you were hired before 2012 you have a certain pension plan if you're hired after 2012 you have a different not as good a one uh, generally speaking for fi- for police it's like you can retire after 20 and one And in the other, you can retire after 25. So it's, and that causes some concern. That's been a thing, but it's been that way since 2012. By 2015, they'd cut into what deficit they had. They had about a, uh, uh, it was was around $80 million of a deficit at that time. By 2015 is where we're picking up the story here. A couple of years after the pension change, and they, they hit the best funded that this pension has been. They were, uh, they, they also moved $5 million of cash from the general fund over to it. And it was, they had an $80 million deficit. They were 60% funded. They had this new pension plan in place and the city manager at the time declared a solution to the underfunded pension plan. Well, we haven't heard much about it since, or I don't think the public has anyway. We wake up today and it is $150 million underfunded at about 52% funded, uh, there's a governor's watch list, and if you're a public uh, pension and you're under 70% funded, you're on it. And so this is this is built up to this, and the city uh, police and firefighters are raising an eyebrow and putting their hand up and saying, hey, what's going on here? And actually, they're paying attention to what's going on, and they want to call attention to it, which <clears throat> is why it's finally coming into the public here a little bit. Uh, just for real quickly, being under... F- funded in a pension plan is not unusual or even bad. You can look at it like a mortgage, you got a certain obligation at a certain point and you're paying up to it. Now, what is a bit of a concern is the percentage, like I said, the the state has a benchmark of seventy percent and now here is Columbia, they're at fifty fifty two percent. But the real alarming thing is if you are underfunded, you should be cutting into that. And what's happened at Columbia in all of these years since two thousand and fifteen is they've been in decline. So it's gone from sixty percent funded in 2015 to only 52 percent funded in uh, 2022 with no real particular plan to change anything and that's what's drawing more than concern actual alarm at this point
0: yeah i'd be a little concerned are there any other uh retirement programs besides police and fire that are underfunded in columbia no they're all uh police and fire are the only pensions
1: that columbia runs the rest go to loggers the state Uh, retirement program. They'd like police to go there, too. And that's a big part of this story. Loggers has a superior pension at less cost. But because we can't buy our firefighters and policemen in because we don't have the cash, we're so underfunded, we just can't move them over. So a a proposal is is to start moving uh, newly hired police and firefighters over, which is a huge concern to uh, current police and firefighters because it kind of a big batch of those hired from since 2012 are already second class citizens, and now we're going to add a third tier. So, collective bargaining wise, that's kind of a uh, no go, and that's put them in a bit of a circle here about what we're going to do. And short of funding it, uh, you know, it's a big problem. Let me tell you real quick what happened, what they're looking at. It's the same thing happened in Springfield. So, in Springfield, Missouri, in 2006, they were like, they moved their new hires over to loggers, just like Columbia wants to do. And there's no objection from firefighters and policemen. They love to be in loggers and out of this mess with the city. But, but Springfield was at $200 million uh, underfunded, at like about 35% funded. And they started talking about it having the potential to bankrupt the city. So they went to voters and they passed a uh, three-quarter cent sales tax. Sunshine in five years. They renewed it now three or four times to pay off or to fund this pension plan. Uh, as a result, over those years, they've made like three times the minimum payment. Columbia only makes the minimum payment, and even does things to lower the minimum payment. They reamortize, and that's how they've got in this boat. But the bottom line is, is Springfield is now ninety uh, percent funded, and they they work their way out of it. The firefighters and policemen in Columbia they realize we can't go to voters in a similar way when when the city council has you know eight, ten, twelve million dollars left over every year, and uh, a hundred million dollars of uh Uh, discretionary cash on hand. So they're asking the question, why in the world are you not funding our pension plan?
0: That's what I want to know. Why if they have all that money uh, in banks, they can't, uh, you know, that rainy day fund, why can't they bring this thing up to snuff? Well,
1: your guess would be as good as mine, and I can only tell you, uh, and I'm kind of new on the story here, and I know what the, the policemen think and the firefighters, and it has to do with, and it's funny I say policemen when we have a female police chief. I need to start calling them Uh, police officers, Um, you know, there's this back drift always about lack of support for police where it comes from, uh, the anti-police, defund the police people. Uh, Number one is there's a lack of political courage to make a decision that's got to be made. Number two, and I think probably more so, is that this is the kind of problem that you can just keep kicking it down the road. It's not going to rear its head next year or the year after, although I can give you some ways that it is but if you're a city manager and your main job is to keep your job for another year, hopefully maybe another year after that, and if you're a, a city council person, you know, I, they might not even know we have a pension. Who's <laughs> going to who's going to address this? And the answer is nobody. Uh, but people need to start need to understand that it's out there and what's going on because it needs to be addressed.
0: So, who do we do we go to the city manager or well, he knows we- he knows about it.
1: So I've talked with uh City management, and the finance director, and they're basically, they want to downplay it as in, like, hey, this is like a mortgage. We have up and downs with the market. There's fluctuations in how we do this, and this will all be fine. So that's the approach they're going to take, which is translated as, we're just going to kick this can down the road, and we're not going to take it as an emergency. I think that the uh, firefighters are going to bring a resolution to the city council, and they've been working the city council members, so they know what's going on. They're going to bring a resolution that says, hey, if you have any excess cash left over at the end of a year, instead of doing what all you're doing with it now, you need to put some of that into this pension plan. That's a real simple solution, and it brings it to a political head. And you can see, I think that's going to come to fore here in Columbia in the next several weeks, if not a couple of months.
0: You want to find out what's going on in Columbia? Como Buzz with one Z, com. Mike Murphy, thank you for thank coming you. in. Thank you, Gary. All right, buddy, take care. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. A lot of ground to cover with Dave Roland. Absolutely, including the RICO case in Georgia. Could it It could it all get wrecked? And that would be, uh, well, good for Donald Trump. That's next. Gary Nolan, Zimmer Radio. If you ever wanted to listen to the freedom fighter uh, Dave Roland, today is the day. Some amazing cases. One of them I've been talking about all day. Actually, I've talked about it a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Uh, dealing with the Chevron case, uh, and where that's going to go, and what the impact of that is. is—it, the, the impact of that it will just blow you out of the water. But for you Trump fans, I'm going to bring Mr. Uh, Roland on board to talk about what may be the golden ticket in the Georgia-RICO case. Dave, welcome. MoFreedom.org. How are you? I'm doing great, Gary. I don't, I don't know if I can live up to the billing, but I'll do my best. Uh, you You will, I am sure. Uh, tell me about. See, everybody knows that uh, if Donald Trump wins the White House, and his timing is right, he could pardon himself. He could drop all of those cases, those federal cases. The problem is, this Georgia case seems to really be looming uh, as uh, as a, a, a kind of a dangerous uh, trap for him. But you say yeah. they might they might not be able to pull it off. They may not be able to get him.
2: I, I think this prosecution is going down in flames. Um, and so let me, let me recap real quickly. You know, there are several criminal prosecutions that are currently underway. As you pointed out for the prosecutors, it's really a race against time. Um, if Trump gets elected again, it's very likely he will pardon himself and all of these prosecutions go away, uh, at least the, the ones over which the president has control, um, and even criminal prosecutions that the president can't necessarily control, um, then you know he he can't be prosecuted while he's in office. So the the most dangerous one I think for the president is the one in Florida. Uh, the judge in that case has sent a pretty strong signal that she does not intend to move the case quickly. So, in all likelihood, it's not going to trial before the election. Um, And so, that case may be, you know, set to the side. Um, The B.C. case is currently um, caught up in some in some kind of procedural issues. It was originally scheduled for a trial date in March. It looks now like that trial date's going to be bumped down the calendar, although we don't know how far. Uh, they may be able to get that trial underway before the election. Maybe not. But the Georgia case is one where you seem to have a really motivated prosecutor um, and... The facts were not as bad for Trump as some of these other cases, but they still weren't great. Um, but what's happened here is the prosecutor has been caught in a very unfortunate for her situation. You're talking she about the uh, affair? Has, yeah, so, so the prosecutor has the authority to hire people to help out with some of these cases. And in this situation, she hired another attorney, paid him a good $650,000 so far, as far as we know. And it turns out maybe she was having an affair with this guy. It also, when you, there, you know, there was some head scratching about why she hired this particular guy in the first place because this is a felony prosecution involving Rico. And this guy that she hired and paid all this money had never prosecuted a felony case and had never prosecuted a Rico case. And so, why in the world are you spending all this money for somebody who apparently doesn't have the kind of experience you would expect? to be applicable to the to this case and now it has been alleged in a motion filed by one of the defendants not trump by the way but by one of the other defendants they said she has been involved in this romantic relationship with this guy and she now has been funneling state money To him, and they have asked to have the entire prosecution dropped. That's not going to happen. But what may well happen is the prosecuting attorney's office could be uh, barred from the case. And we've seen this in a couple of other situations, like in, in St. Louis City, where you had um, Kim Gardner getting her entire office knocked off of certain cases because of the way she was handling them. The McCloskey case, for example, where she was fundraising off of her prosecution, and they said, nope, you can't do that. You've now disqualified your entire office. We have to bring in special prosecutors. That is, I think, pretty likely to happen here in Georgia. Now. The way Georgia handles this is they've got a special state-level office that assigns prosecutors. That is run by Republicans. It is almost certain that if they assign a prosecutor at all, and they may not, then they would assign somebody who might be pretty friendly to a bunch of the defendants, including President Trump. Um, But the other thing is is they may not assign a prosecutor at all. So the guy who is currently serving as Georgia's lieutenant governor uh, was being prosecuted by Fannie Willis, the same prosecuting attorney that's going after President Trump, and her office got disqualified from his case. The case got referred to this special office to assign a new prosecutor in 2022, and they still have not assigned a new prosecutor in that case. And so either... Yeah go, go ahead on. go on, no go ahead So either by virtue of the office not assigning anybody at all or assigning somebody who's probably more friendly to Trump um it, there's a very strong possibility that this prosecution goes away entirely um it is a it is one of the most remarkable own goals um I've ever seen In litigation. I mean, she was trying to make this a national cause, a national platform, um, and one would expect that if you are intentionally courting the brightest of spotlights, which is what she was doing, you would mind your P's and Q's. You would be going out of your way to make sure that everything you were doing was above board and that it appears absolutely not to be the case and uh and it uh i i heard a another attorney that i respect an awful lot who deals with similar types of cases who says that at least in his state this would mean jail time for the prosecuting attorney who did this and and so i don't know if georgia law is the same as the law in that attorney's state so i don't know if fanny willis is going to be looking at jail time if this is uh, ultimately proven, but, but I think that there's a very significant possibility that that this case collapses and uh, and will never go to trial.
0: So you don't think uh, trying to push this into the federal courts is going to be what, uh, what kills it? You think it's going to be the fact that she had an affair with this guy, paid him big bucks, and then, you know,
2: profited... Uh... If, if that's proven, yes. And, and again, you know, the same as with... Almost every issue in a court of law, um, you know, they're they have to prove what they've alleged here. Um, But but people that I respect have looked at this and they have said the kinds of claims that are being made and the way that they have been made suggests that there is smoke and fire. Uh, associated with with these claims, and so we'll have to see um if the facts end up bearing out the the allegations but if so um i it looks like Trump is going to be off the hook in georgia
0: uh, I know a lot of uh, a lot of Trump fans will be happy if that happens uh, in the meantime, I found it amusing, and this has nothing to do with the legality of it all, but I thought it was amusing that Fanny was in her church defending the affair. I mean, like, of all the places you'd want to defend the affair, would you want to do that in front of God? I don't think so.
2: I'm just yeah. saying. <laughs> I i can't comment on it because I haven't heard her statements on it, but but that, that does seem an odd, an odd choice. It's an odd place. Uh, you know, if,
0: when you're talking about uh, extramarital sex, it uh, just doesn't feel... Doesn't feel right to me, I'm I'm just saying. It
2: wouldn't fly in my church, I'll tell you that. No, I
0: I can imagine. All right, the Chevron case. Um, I've been talking about this uh, with with, uh, guests all morning. Because I think that if it goes the way I hope it goes, I think it will affect every transaction, uh, every bit of commerce, private property, uh, it It will turn big government on its ear uh and and there are a couple of uh, a couple of fishermen who apparently object to the fact that the federal government is making them bring these people from the federal government on their boats, pay them this uh, outrageous amount of money to watch them fish essentially to make sure they don't violate any laws about fishing. They're commercial fishermen. Uh, it's very expensive, and they're paying the bill, and they're going to court. So, kind of a couple of different uh, uh, arguments being made that I uh, that I think are fascinating, and the net result I think will just shake the progressive world to its core. I can't impress upon you em- enough what the difference will be, you know, in in commerce when we don't just defer to the government and say, oh, the government said it. It must be true. Dave Rowland on this next on The Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. This is The Gary Nolan Show. It's 1135. Dave Rowland is with us, MoFreedom.org. And uh, he is the guy that you go to when the government is trampling on your rights and he will sue them. Uh, He doesn't charge you for that, but he does rely on donations. And he has been remarkably successful here in the state of Missouri. So if you get a chance, MoFreedom.org, front slash donate, front slash donate. uh, Because uh, you never know, it may be you. That he comes to the defense of. In the meantime, the Chevron case. So first, let's explain what exactly is Chevron. Uh, Briefly, Dave?
2: (laughs) Well, let's start at the very beginning with basic principles. Under our system of government, Congress is supposed to make the law. The judiciary is supposed to interpret the law. And the executive is supposed to enforce the law. That's the basic principles. And... The idea behind Chevron deference is that there are some issues that society has to deal with that are so complicated and complex that you can't necessarily rely on Congress to make laws that are sufficiently clear to understand how they should interact with these various issues. And they are also so complex that you can't necessarily trust the courts to understand how to apply the laws in these contexts. And so instead, what Chevron deference means is that the executive branch is understood to employ experts, regulators who have broad experience in these technical, very intricate fields of knowledge. And so if Congress has drafted a law in such a way that it's not absolutely clear how it's supposed to affect this particular area of policy or technology or what have you, then the experts in the executive branch get to make rules that interpret and apply these statutes that clarify, quote-unquote clarify, what these statutes are really supposed to mean in these particular contexts. Chevron Deference says, if these experts in the executive branch have made a rule, courts are supposed to defer to what the executive branch has said. That is not how our system was designed to work. It is a bad thing to have the judiciary Deferring either to the legislature or to the executive branch. But that's what Chevron established as the proper approach to statutory interpretation several decades ago. What this has done is it's created a horrible incentive for Congress to write very broad laws and then leave it to the people in the executive branch to interpret the laws. And in order to understand exactly how that works, I'd like to quote just a little bit from the argument that Paul Clement made yesterday at the Supreme Court. Um, Usually when someone's arguing at the Supreme Court, they do not get very long to offer an answer to a judge's question. Uh, They get interrupted constantly. Paul Clement was given several minutes. To make his argument about why Chevron has turned out to be such a bad decision, and and here's part of what he says. He said that the incentive structure that's been set up um, gives half the people in Congress the opportunity to have their friends in the executive branch basically follow a laundry list, a wish list of policy implementations that the legislators want, but they know they could never actually get through Congress. They could never actually get a bill passed that addressed all of these little specific points that they would really want to see the government have the authority to enforce. And so now Congress says, well, look, why should we go to all the hard trouble of having these fights, especially if it might end up putting me on the wrong side of some special interest group where they might decide to fund a primary competitor for me? Um, we'll just adopt a very broad statute, and then we'll work through back channels to have the executive branch interpret and apply this way, uh, this law, the way that we really want them to do it. So, and in other words, the, so, d- I, I gotta, that, the judiciary I, won't
0: second-guess them. All right, I got I to gotta cut you short here because we, we've got a, sure. you know, a, a time thing here. But essentially what you're saying is uh, we care about the environment. We're going to create the Environmental Protection Agency and tell them your task is to take care of the environment. Uh, and then they start coming up with all these rules and all these regulations and uh, when they start trampling my rights and saying well, I can't grow anything on my farm because it's a navigable waterway or whatever, I go to my congressman. He can't do anything. Hey, look, I, you got to deal with them uh, at the EPA. Uh, is, and, is,
2: and you go to the courts, and the courts say, well, but the EPA says the law means this. The law means they can do that, and we're so not going to second-guess that. So you can't so win. You're basically, yeah, you're, you're, you're denied the true impartial ruling that our system is set up to provide like that's what courts are supposed to provide they're not supposed to lean you know intrinsically in favor of one party or another even when the party on the other side's the government and yet that's what chevron mandates chevron requires the courts to give deference to what the executive branch says and that is uh, a betrayal of the design of our system of government but the good news is it looks like there is going to be a majority to strike down Chevron and to return to Congress the the responsibility, the burden of actually writing our laws instead of simply outsourcing them to the executive branch. So when and some, I agree with you, that's a really big deal and a really good thing.
0: So when somebody says, uh, you know, you you uh, you can't you can't build your house on this land. Uh, our bureaucracy says that uh, this, that it's you know the, the home of the rat or whatever uh they can't just do that congress has to say you know write this law we approve and the president has to sign it is that am i re- reading this correctly roughly
2: yes so so yes um you know congress can no longer write just a very broad statute and then give give the executive carte blanche to interpret it how they want and and you're right that's what they were doing basically with the waters of the united states rule is the executive branch got to decide what constitutes waters of the united states and they were deciding that dry land that is you know separated physically by hundreds of yards from any water at all still constitutes waters of the united states and the courts up until recently had been deferring to that. And, and so if Chevron is overruled, all of a sudden the government actually has to justify its position. It has to demonstrate why the authority that they're claiming to exercise is clearly authorized by Congress, not just conjured up by the executive branch. All right, why do you think it's gonna go away? uh the the questions that we got from the from the justices yesterday sure seemed like uh they were they were ready to to bring down uh, Chevron. And, and this has been a long time coming. This is not, uh, something that only arose in the last couple of years. It's been a long-term project by groups like, uh, Pacific Legal Foundation and, and some of the other, uh, libertarian and conservative public interest groups to bring Chevron down. And so we have seen in other cases the justices kind of talk about, hey, you know what? chevron may be a really bad idea um and and it's just that the question of whether chevron should be overturned had not been directly presented until this case but um it it seems like from the oral argument yesterday that that chevron is actually going down in flames this time and that's a good thing
0: you're not kidding (laughs) you're not kidding uh the, the it just brings back your rights all right one more quick break and uh, then we'll talk about what's going on. I think this case is in Texas, isn't it, where they they built the highway and then uh, the, the ranchers were getting flooded? Indeed it is, yep. All right. We'll find out about those details, because that's in front of the Supreme Court, next on The Gary Nolan Show. It's about 10 minutes to noon, and Dave Roland is on The Gary Nolan Show on a think tank Thursday. Uh, the Supreme Court is... Uh, Hearing a case uh, from out in uh, Texas where apparently the state has built a highway that's causing water runoff and these uh, these ranchers want, they want compensation. Details, Dave, details.
2: So we all know that the Constitution has a takings clause that says the government is not allowed to take someone's property without paying just compensation ordinarily that happens through eminent domain where the government says well we want to own we want to we want a property interest in this private property owners uh belonging and so we're going to take that and we're going to compensate them accordingly but the courts have also recognized that the government can deprive citizens of their property rights in other ways um like for example if they build a road or a highway and it ends up Flooding and destroying the usefulness of a private property's ownership, the owner has been deprived of that property just the same as if the government had taken title to it, and so courts have said that's inverse condemnation, and you still have to pay them compensation if you uh, if you uh, damage their property in this way. Uh, one way that this happens uh, in Missouri as frequently is sewer backups. So if if sewer backups uh, end up flooding or damaging a citizen's property, they may be able to receive compensation from the government because it's considered to be an inverse taking. So weird thing happened when this, uh, this gentleman in Texas filed his lawsuit. Texas has a statute that uh, prescribes how you go to the government to ask for compensation in a situation like this. And he did that. And then the state of Texas said, you know what, we're going to remove this to federal court. We don't want our courts to hear this. We want to go to federal court. And then once they removed it to federal court, they said, you have to dismiss this case because Congress has never passed a statute that governs how you would compensate somebody whose property has been damaged or taken in this way. And it's it's kind of litigation jujitsu, it's it's removing them from a venue where the law very clearly allows them to recover compensation to get them into a venue where the law is much less clear. And then they were saying, well, we get to get off the hook entirely. Fortunately, at oral arguments, and this is a case that's argued by my friends at the Institute for Justice, where I started out when I graduated law school. Um, Fortunately, it looks like the justices are going to um, rule that it's unconstitutional to deprive a citizen of their right to compensation by removing the case to federal court. The question beyond that may be, whether um, whether citizens have a right to demand compensation, even if there is no statute that allows for it and that's been presented um, also in another case that Pacific Legal Foundation argued a couple of weeks ago the the Sheets case um, where basically the defense in that case was was well we don't have a statute that allows you to recover for this kind of a taking. And so between these two cases I think we're actually looking at a pretty great uh a pretty great supreme court term for property rights. There's still a chance that the case may not be as advantageous as I hope um, there were some skeptical questions, including from from my favorite justice, Justice Gorsuch, um, about the the theory that was being presented here. But at least when it comes to this main question of whether states can kind of use this um this bizarre litigation maneuver to get out of accountability chief justice roberts called it a catch-22 and and he said you know you you can't really put them in this kind of a situation a no win situation and it seemed like even justice kagan who's one of the more progressive justices agreed on that point and so um i i am optimistic although it's not clear whether it's going to be a very narrowly decided case or whether it's going to be a broader and thus i think better case
0: Uh, Let me just uh, refer you, uh, we were talking about uh, Fannie Willis, the Georgia Bureau of uh, of Investigations, according to Newsweek, as we talked about this case a few minutes ago, uh, and you were pretty confident that if they follow through, uh, the whole case could fall apart. Uh, The uh, Georgia Bureau of Investigation has confirmed to Newsweek that it is not investigating Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. Uh, Willis, who's uh, prosecuting former President Trump and others over alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia, has come under scrutiny after being accused of engaging in an improper relationship. Why would they not investigate?
2: Well, because we, I don't know what Georgia law requires. You remember I said the, the attorney that, that I had listened to discuss this, uh, he works in California, and, and so the statute that punishes behavior like this in California may be different from the statute in Georgia. I don't think it changes the analysis that I gave earlier in the show, though, because it sounds like the Newsweek report is only focusing on whether Willis herself will face criminal prosecution, Um, and that is a very different question from whether she and or her office will be forced to um, to step out of the case. To abandon the case. I am I am pretty confident that they're going to be taken off this case if the facts that are alleged are eventually proven.
0: All right, I've got just a couple of minutes left. Uh I'm homeless. I haven't got a job, I got no place to sleep. There's a public uh, park. I want to sleep there. Can
2: I? Yeah, and a lot of a lot of cities and states have been saying no you can't. Missouri is one of those. Um now in Missouri, the the Missouri Supreme Court just recently struck down the statute that made it illegal to sleep on public lands. Um But they struck it down on procedural grounds, not on substantive grounds. The U.S. Supreme Court has just agreed to take a case out of the Ninth Circuit that basically argues it's cruel and unusual punishment to penalize a homeless person for sleeping in the only place that's available to them. And, uh, you know, I, I like this theory a lot. I, I think it's uh, an excellent argument. Uh, the Ninth Circuit agreed uh, and struck down the ordinances in this case that had prohibited people from sleeping on, on public property. And it's going to be really interesting to see what the justices end up thinking about this now that they've taken it. Um, honestly, I don't know whether they're going to end up siding with the homeless or whether they're going to end up siding with the cities here. But, but the Supreme Court did agree that they're going to consider this case. It will probably be bumped to the next supreme court term although i don't know that for a fact we are getting to the point in the calendar where some of these new cases that they're taking may end up getting argued this year but it's, it's more likely that they're going to be bumped to the next supreme court term, so probably be argued october or november of next year
0: uh very quickly because i'm about out of time on average how many cases a year does a federal judge not the supreme court a federal judge here
2: Uh, You know, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, Would it be a half a dozen or a dozen or more? No, it it, it would be in the hundreds. Why Uh, then does the Supreme Court only take it? Why do they only take a handful? Excellent question. The Supreme Court used to take... More than a hundred cases every year, um, but in the during John Roberts's tenure as Chief Justice, that number has continued to just drop and drop and drop um, and, and there's no good explanation for why um, it's not that the Constitution has changed uh, it's not uh, there are more cases being filed every year uh, and and so it 's not for a lack of opportunities, but for whatever reasons, the justices just don't want to hear that many cases anymore um, it's concerning, I think. Yeah,
0: I'm a little uh, baffled by this. If the uh, other federal judges can hear hundreds of cases, well, why can't the Supreme Court? I don't know. we got to run. Dave Roland, MoFreedom.org. Thank you for being with us. Thank whatever you, it Gary. is whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe Diem, Gwen Baby. Honey, I'm coming home.